1: Or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction.
0: And now,
2: we go into the thick of it.
1: Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
2: Erin Addisons
1: On American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Period. Enter. (laughs) Send. You know you can't do two things at once. I can't do two things, so I needed to finish up sending that. I told you, look, we don't need to just talk sideways at people. We say, just give me a second. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let me just send the email, and then I'll give you my undivided attention. And I thought sure. I could send a few a few words, you know what I mean, and then, um, you know, hit send. But I just wanted to make sure that I didn't start typing in the email, I'm Miki. <laughs> I'm because will. that sometimes <laughs> is prone to happen. Sherry B's over in <laughs> Studio CC, not yet, but she'll be there. Yeah. She just comes when she wants. Hmm. You know, I mean... She just does whatever she that's wants, and, and that's fine. I mean, it's fine. I heard her <laughs> earlier. I know she's here, so with with that, I'm, I'm comforted. Um, coming up a little bit later in the show, we are going to talk yet again to di- Dr. Michael Heiser,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, you remember we talked to Dr. Heiser a few months ago about his book Angels, but he had another book, The Unseen Realm, which um, I was also interested in. And so we, you know, we said we'd have to have them back because we want to talk about this. This is one of those topics that makes people really, really uncomfortable, Will. Yeah. (laughs) You know, not me. Can I just like, I don't know what it is. Like, I'm not, I mean, I, I don't think that I'm weird in that way. No. But when I read the scriptures, I actually enjoy just sort of delving into the scriptures and asking questions of the text. You know what I mean? Right, right. Not just what someone else has said they think it means. Or what, what, you know, we just, I think we it's just the thing of, of
2: never some things you never heard before. True. And it's like, you know, now, I'm
1: careful with that. If yeah. it's something like, but wait, yeah, you've never heard this. You have to weigh it. You know, Right. Um, at the same time, I do know that a lot of our, um, what we have held on as just sort of tradition, we never go back further than the onset of that tradition to mm-hmm. explore why is that. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly encouraging people let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back to the original text. Let's, let's ask questions of right. the Bible itself. Right. And, um, and I think when you do that, sometimes there are things where like for you and I, mm-hmm. we have said, you know, we were taught that wrong. Mm-hmm. I yeah. know you started n- many years ago, really rocking my world with the reading of scripture and a lot of the tradition that we grew up in. Mm-hmm. And I get And I've told you this before, so I'm not <laughs> shocking you by telling you this on the air. Um, When you started showing me these things in scripture and saying, now, Miki, you know, what do you do with that? And I know there are people who are going, well, what was it? Spit it out. (laughs) That would open a whole other can of worms that we're not going. (laughs) Yeah. And I would say email me, but don't. (laughs) I don't want you to. Um, But I will say this. The funny (laughs) thing, though, when you started showing me things in the scriptures and saying, Miki, this is inconsistent Mm -hmm. with a consistent read of the Bible. Mm -hmm. I felt like you were betraying me because I was like, this is what we've been taught. Like we've right. grown up in the f- the same kind of faith tradition. Mm-hmm. And this is what we've always, and, and watch this, and this is true. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I mean, we love the Bible because the Bible tells the truth, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm embarrassed to admit it, but the truth is, the thing that was rocking my world is that this is not how these scriptures had been taught to me. Mm. It wasn't that when I read them, I didn't see what you were saying. Yeah. It was no
0: <laughs> we right.
1: have our own theologians who teach this passage yeah. and this is where they have arrived on it. They've come to land here. And so why are you coming to land somewhere <laughs> else? And so anyway, I don't think there's a problem when, when you go back to the original text mm-hmm. and you look at it and you say, man, there's something that's been obscured here, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I, I agree with you. I don't think we need to be, wait, we've got some new and improved.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And know. I think that's it. I think it's just a, like, because some of the things he was saying, it was like, what? Wait, Huh? And even talking, he, you to, mean Dr. Heiser? Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Heiser. Yeah. And talking to, uh, Jade, I was like, oh yeah, we got, uh, Dr. Heiser. back." Like she said, yeah, you know, the guy that was talking about the angels and yeah. like she was kind of like, uh, ah, yeah. you know, it was but like, look, but it was, it was interesting stuff and stuff that you should, you know, I think searched for search the scriptures mm-hmm. for to see if they'd be true. You well, know?
1: haven't you wondered? I mean, yes, I think there are some things that are interesting. Um, For one, Mm -hmm. I think that which now having the book, The Unseen Realm, I realize why my asking the question? We were interviewing him about the book Angels. Mm -hmm. And I asked the question, where is the first place that this council or that, you know, is mentioned? Mm -hmm. And he says, this divine council. And he says, you don't know how loaded that question is. (laughs) I didn't. But now with this book, Unseen Realm, I can totally see Mm -hmm. how loaded that question was and why he would have said that. Um, But let's be honest, though. Don't you have questions about what seems to be clear in scripture that we just ignore.
2: There's certain things that I've read and I'm like, didn't understand what it was and just kind of just kept reading. Like when (laughs) I thought divine, divine counsel, like, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what that means, but I didn't, you know, it's sad to say, I didn't like, okay, let me stop and and look. There's some things that I just like, okay, God, you know what it is. That's not something I need to know right now. (laughs) God,
1: you know what it is. You
2: know? And so you're not
1: recommending that. No.
2: So, but when somebody brings out some study on, on these topics it's really interesting, you know, to hear was, you know, the breakdown of it, you know, cause the divine council, I had no clue. I mean, we heard about that before yeah. we heard, I think a podcast with, Uh, Dr. Heiser. Yeah. I think it was Frank Turek. He was
1: was Was interviewed by Dr. Frank Turek. Yeah. And to hear those two go back and forth, it was fascinating. Remember, I even saved the podcast and I said, you've got to listen to to this. this.
2: Yeah. Because this is absolutely fascinating. Mm
1: -hmm. But one of those passages is Psalm 82, where the Bible reads that God stands in the divine assembly. He administers judgment in the midst of the gods. And in both terms there, you have God, Elohim, stands in the divine council. I'm sorry, the divine assembly. He administers judgment in the midst of the gods. Elohim also used a second time. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things where
2: it's like, what? Yeah. There's only have, one God. Like, what, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> that's here? exactly you know, right. And then when I think about executing power and doing th- different things, I just think of the Godhead, the Trinity. Mm-hmm. I don't think of no other like things that would be called or beings that would be called gods, you know?
1: And then at the same time you have this as the apostle Paul, um, points out you have this domain of darkness that we have been rescued from. That's right. Where there is obviously a power that exists outside of the strong hold of the Lord. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I guess to say it better would be the, the protection of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to wonder about that. You know, yeah. I mean there's got to be questions about the strong influence that exists, you know, outside yeah. of being found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like mm-hmm. it's it's not just men operating mm-hmm. right but it's, it's not just you know the mm-hmm. devil made me do it so to speak there a, there seems a, to be a combination of yeah both. it's a
2: combination of both the principalities and the rulers and all those things but also man you know yeah. that has uh denied god or rejected god yes being subject to those powers and doing what you know uh they're saying for them to do
1: and <laughs> and and all that they have determined the wickedness i think the other thing and we kind of we touched on it but we didn't flesh it out completely, and I'm hoping that we'll get to do it today, was the introduction of Job. I mean, this, mm. this to me is one of those passages where if you are not careful and you don't take it seriously, you would find yourself thinking, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of fairy taleish.
0: Mm. It's mm-hmm, kind of fairy taleish
1: mm-hmm. because, I mean, what does it say? Now there was a day when the sons of God, <laughs> okay, <laughs> the sons <laughs> of God came to present themselves before the Lord And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? (laughs) Satan answered to the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I mean, this clearly seems like there is a meeting Mm -hmm. of these unique.
2: Yeah.
1: um, Do you say (laughs) individuals? I don't know. I mean, beings, beings? there's a meeting of these unique beings who, who, have the kind of form that they can be in the presence of God. So are they just angels? Are they hosts? What, what, and what are they? And, yeah. and are hosts angels. And we're going to get into a little bit yeah. of that. And I know, stuff. you know, look, some people, they're going to check out and they're going to be like, you know, they're going to go to that old um, gospel song. As long as I've got King Jesus, <laughs> I don't need nobody else. You know, you guys go ahead, go ahead. And, and that's fine. But for those of us who want to read and wrestle with these things, I think it's okay for us to wrestle with these things. It's not going to be bad Mm -hmm. for us to say, hold up, Dr. Heiser. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about
2: that. Right, right. Because
1: even Dr. Heiser himself admits that as he began to delve into this work, I want to say maybe 10 years ago, there was a lot that he had to wrestle with, namely Christian tradition, Mm. that this is just what we have been taught. And to think something else. Because what he's not talking about is he's not talking about polytheism.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's right. not
1: talking about many Yahwehs.
2: Right, right. See, that's the thing. You got to break that down because when you say, you know, gods and, and, and you're not meaning like idols. Yeah. It's like, wait, that's only one. And like, that's,
1: okay, so know? that's an important distinction. We're going to have to ask Dr. Heiser about this because that's an important distinction. When we have commonly thought of uh, gods, mm-hmm. lowercase g, we think of. Idols right. or what we would call false gods.
2: False gods, yeah.
1: And I think that Dr. Heiser is making the case that there are these beings that are gods that had this original capacity in which they were supposed to operate, but that they rebelled. And that that council was broken. Mm. I know it's, it. I know it. I know it. But I got to tell you, this doesn't, um, this doesn't make me afraid. Like this doesn't scare me at all. I don't know. I'm Who showing be
2: up the like highs
1: I'm showing up for this class. And <laughs> and look, when I show up for a class like this, mm-hmm. you know, I'm there, Bible and pen in hand, <laughs> and even a highlighter. Uh-huh. And I'm that kid. You know, I'm the one on the front row that props up one arm with the other one. Cause <laughs> I got questions. Yeah. I'm that I'm that one. And anybody listening to me, if you've ever been that one, put your put your <laughs> hand down. Look, there you go. <laughs>
2: I'm in the middle row.
1: We've got we. <laughs> my crayon.
2: <laughs> my tongue sticking out. You know
1: to stop it. No, don't <laughs> say that. Well, the great. Oh my goodness. I can't believe we've got kids. We um we train our kids actively every time our fellowship gets together, and so they're able to ask questions. We've got mm-hmm. some kids that and and this is this is formed in us very early on. If mm-hmm. we're that person, you're just that person. You don't mm-hmm. learn to be that person, right? You're just you're just born that person, mm-hmm. and so you've got a kid who they have a question but mm-hmm. they just keep flapping their hand they're like until you acknowledge
2: <laughs> right. that you
1: see my hand right right i am go- yeah that's it pick <laughs> me i've got i've got a question and we encourage that because we believe that the christian faith holds up under the weight of scrutiny
0: mm-hmm.
1: what yeah. we believe holds up i mean right. the only reason we have to run from the questions or be afraid or be embarrassed is if we are not fully confident i I just believe that we can put our full weight down on the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. We can put our full weight down on the scriptures that the Lord has given to us. Something that is beautiful in all of its expression that he wanted to be known by us. Mm-hmm. So he has revealed himself to us. And if there are any questions that we have, if we even disagree, we we'll, are looking at the scriptures and, you know, I don't really see that. Our faith can handle it. And I want to say something else. You know, flame, the rapper flame
0: mm, yeah.
1: has a new project out. Yeah. And if you love Christian rap and a little bit of theology, which I hope <laughs> that, I hope, I know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're right. you got to right.
2: Listen a few times.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking we need to interview him by I the way, hope, because it'd
2: be cool if he's open to it. <laughs> he can trust us.
1: We're not, we're not, we don't do, right, hard, we right, don't do right. hard interviews. Um, no, he can trust us. Um, no, he's got a new project out called Extranos, mm-hmm. where he is exploring the intersection and i'm saying this kindly mm. but the intersection between calvinism and lutheranism
2: mm-hmm.
1: oh my goodness yeah that's my cup of tea yeah like it's i pretty interesting that's stuff. my i use like whoa okay i used that p- project mm-hmm. uh during one of our bible lessons with the kids yeah. and i just had them listen to it and then we had a conversation around some of the points that he was making because it's such a it's such a um exploration yeah. around theology. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. Like so many Christians are just like, well, Jesus come into my heart. <laughs> Man, you know, do you understand that the, the history of the church, if it had been founded on just people feeling mm. good Christian feelings, mm-hmm. I mean, it would have it would have sputtered out. Yeah. It would have, but instead, there were people who were like, "This is what has been handed down to us. This is what we've received. We're going to learn it inside and out. We're going to fight to defend it. We can give anybody a reason for the hope that lies within us. And when heretics rise up, we chop them down at the knees." <laughs> oh, I'm sorry.
2: Wow. I'm sorry.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> I don't know if they said that. Maybe they did. Sorry about that. Some of them probably look does. when you start getting it. <laughs> when you get it no
1: like some of the people <laughs> in the history of the church when you read about them or you watch some of the documentaries you know yeah. based on their life you go you're pretty, whoa you're
2: pretty raw you like
1: whoa <laughs> jesus yeah. christ and him crucified not your right. brother because y'all disagree right. doctrinally mm. <laughs> all right yeah, all right y'all yeah. know who some of your people are in your history okay (laughs) Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio we'll take a break and be right back with Dr. Michael Heiser stay close
3: There are also stories in the Bible where God invites the divine council to participate in making a decision. Like when they help decide how to bring down the corrupt Israelite King Ahab. Or in the book of Job where they debate God's policy of rewarding people who do good. So, they are like God's staff team. But why does God need a team? If he's powerful enough to create the whole universe, he could surely rule it without any help. Well, he does not need them. But apparently, the God of the Bible wants to share authority with others. Oh, right. God shares his rule with human partners on earth. And so, in the same way, there is a parallel story of God sharing his authority to rule with spiritual partners. Yes, that is, until it all falls apart in a twin rebellion. So, you have humans who want to rule on earth on their own terms. So, they start building their own nation using their own definitions of good and evil. Yeah, the famous story of the building of Babylon. But check this out. When biblical authors like Moses or Isaiah looked back at the origins of Babylon, they saw more than just a human rebellion, but also a spiritual rebellion.
1: Mm, Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's Mm. on American Family Radio. Well, I mean, we may as well just have this conversation. We attempted to have this conversation the last time Dr. Michael (laughs) Heiser joined us. We were discussing his book, Angels. And of course, you can't really have that conversation without talking about um, just the wildly popular and successful Unseen Realm book. Mm-hmm. And um, But we ran out of time. And yeah. this is something that is very fascinating to me. I'm one of those people that I just I want to drill down mm-hmm. and I, I want to learn more about what it is that we profess to believe. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, um, waiting for this follow up interview, we subscribe to the Bible Project mm-hmm. and uh, we watch it on a regular basis with our kids. We have conversations around that and um, we came across this series, mm-hmm. and without even knowing it, we go, man, this has Dr. Heiser's yeah, so fingerprints familiar. on it. Like, I was like, <laughs> we're looking at it, and then we watch to the end, we watch the credits, and we see that he contributed to this, and we were just yeah. so fascinated. Dr. Heiser, thank you so much for carving out more time to come back and talk to the Addisons about the unseen realm. Oh,
4: yeah, you bet. As I recall, it was, it was you guys that asked the very – you uh, know, leading question <laughs> without really knowing it, it got opened up a whole can of worms. Yes. That is
1: exactly us. <laughs> that's that's kind of what we're what we're known for doing. Um, but now I, I got to tell you though, looking at the book, the unseen realm, I can see how us going in with the question, "Where is the first time that this council is mentioned?" Or you know, how you said that is a loaded question. You have no idea, and you were absolutely right. I had <laughs> no idea but I'm ready now and I'm ready to have this conversation <laughs> because I think, <laughs> I think that we have other listeners who have understood that there is a realm that we cannot see, but I think maybe it's been only a conversation about demons and evil spirits, but mm-hmm. not understanding mm-hmm. this counsel that, um, that all of your research has has led you to discover and accept. Before we get into that, I want to talk about the hurdle that you had to jump over in um mm-hmm. that is christian tradition because a lot of what you lay out in this book the unseen realm um kind of has to bound over christian tradition
4: yeah that, that's true uh and the first two chapters of unseen realm you know get into that and you know just for the sake of your listeners i don't i don't think there's anything sinister going on here that we've got you know theological cover-ups or conspiracies and whatnot i mean i you know, I'll, I'll grant there might be a, a tiny bit of that, but I think for the most part, it's really an issue of just how foreign the context of the biblical writers is not only to us, but even you know, er, you know early church fathers. You know, we we tend to think of you know people like you know Augustine mm-hmm. and Tertullian and really significant important people in the history of the early church, but we don't stop to realize that they're three or four hundred years removed. From the New Testament, I mean, if you throw the Old Testament in there, we're talking a couple of millennia, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you can count the number of Church Fathers that knew Hebrew on, literally on one hand. You know, so there, there's some really significant obstacles, uh, you know, for them. But you know, they they were teaching and doing the best they could. They're responding to specific problems in their own day, and they're you know they were tremendous intellects and they served the church well. You know, but we sort of have inherited their work, and we don't really think about sort of moving beyond it, moving past it back in time into the into the world of the biblical writers, which is really quite a bit far removed from them.
1: Hmm. So let me let me also ask this then. What is, in addition to us just understanding, you know, the rich history that is ours, what is the purpose of knowing, understanding that there is, a council or an unseen realm that is on a level that we have not understood before? What's the purpose of us yeah, understanding? I, I,
4: I think the big takeaway um, that, that people are going to get from unseen realm, and even the, the lighter version supernatural, is that the, the way God relates to his heavenly family and his heavenly partners is a template for a lot of what Scripture says about God's, Desire and relationship, and really salvation plan for his human family, who he wants to be partners you know, with him as well. So one thing, it, it, again, informs the other. And if, if we look at it in Scripture, these two things sort of keep running into each other. Uh, you know what's going on in, in the spiritual world, running into what's going on in the earthly world, and vice versa. And and that's not an accident. It's just something that we sort of don't see. Unless we're sort of conscious that, that it's there, because your your observation early on is correct. You know what the, the way we typically talk about the spiritual world is: other oh, Satan, there's demons, there's angels. And now I've run out of things to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's a very you know surface uh, you know element to the bigger picture and really the bigger purpose that Scripture has for even telling us that there's a spiritual world out there that you know. Is, is both adversarial to us, God's human family. You know, God creating humans to join him in, in sacred space, you know, to be in, in His family to begin with, and and how that relates to you know human self destruction and human corruption, uh, and ultimately salvation, the reversal of all those things. These mm-hmm. things run parallel throughout Scripture, uh, and we just you know we just catch little pieces of it here and there through our the tradition, the way we're taught about. The good guys and the bad guys in the spiritual
1: mm. world so now, uh, the last time we spoke, and I asked about this first mention of this council you know and and you went back to Genesis, and you said you know the let us <laughs> let us make man this is in your our fault. this is my <laughs> fault. I brought this all upon our listening audience. I take full responsibility, but here is something that is. I think, beautifully done in the book here. And, and this is something that we encourage our kids to do when we teach them scripture, that you don't just take one text and form um, you know, these positions and you go to your corner, but that the Bible mm-hmm. does interpret itself and that you know the Bible paints this picture. And man, glory to God that the Bible does this. But to, yeah. the, to the point that you made the last time we spoke, um, if you cross-reference that with, as you point out in the book, Job chapter 38, where God is questioning Job, right? And Job chapter 38 and verse 7, mm-hmm. and it, can I just read it? And I know that you're familiar with sure. this. Okay, so Job chapter 38, verses 4 through 7, where God says, um, Where were you at my uh, laying the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you possess understanding. Who determined its measurement? Yes, you do know. Or who stretched the measuring line upon it? Um, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? verse 7 when the morning stars were singing together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, it seems to imply that God is saying that there were other beings there when I did all of this. So Dr. Heiser, as you know, this is not out of bounds for you to make this connection. And I'm sure there are others.
4: Oh yeah. There, there, there's lots of this kind of talk
1: uh, in scripture.
4: You know what? What? I think one of the problems is, and you you hinted at it in, in your lead up to Joe, is that we we have you know we have a lot of believers who've invested you know a serious time in Bible study, and they have a lot of sort of data points in their head. They have a lot of Bible facts, but what's lacking is a framework. You know, it, it's a way to connect those dots. We just have lots of dots, you know, in our head. You know, if I could, you know put it that way, mm-hmm. and that's one of the one of the major goals of of Unseen Realms to help people think about the data points, think about the dots, and how they actually form strings. You know, you you could use the the metaphor of the string in a tapestry. There are things that connect. The biblical writers are constantly repurposing each other's material. The most obvious of this is the way the the New Testament writers, you you know, will quote the Old Testament. Yes. But it even happens within the New Testament, and it happens within the Old Testament. Yes they' they're they're building a mosaic. The, the, the metaphor I use in the, in the book the early chapters is, is a mosaic. that you have all these pieces or a puzzle and you don't have the box with it to cheat with. you know but like what are you supposed to do? Well again, you, you start to notice patterns, you start to notice common vocabulary. you start to notice clustering of ideas and words. And that's essentially where you know, sort of the the entry point to a lot of this. but as you sort of train yourself, to think about where have I seen this before, and realize that if I have seen it before, it's basically intentional, and 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 to just to sort of follow the breadcrumb trail and, and see where it leads. And if if we train ourselves to do that, it's really amazing uh, how Scripture connects to itself in really you know coherent ways that 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 build ideas. They have beginnings and they have midpoints. They have good. Terminal point at the end, and it's a story. You know that it—it's it, really a fascinating thing for me. You know, it—you know, I, I'm still, I, I, I can't not do this anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, once you start seeing these things, you can't unsee them.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And you—and I just sort of reflexively look for patterns now, and—and and, and that's something I had to learn. I wasn't taught that in graduate school or or seminary. You know, I mean, I had a few things, as I mentioned in the book, that just provoked me. Uh, to do that, but once I started going down, you know, that path, it was like, this is a wonder. <laughs>
0: mm. wow. This is,
4: you know, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't doubt that scripture was an intelligently created thing before. <laughs> yes. But when you start to see how the writers are doing what they're doing, it, it's just kind of amazing. It's a marvel. Wow.
1: So let's talk about these Elohim because I think that when we think of Elohim. Um, or Elo, Elohim and you're going to have to help me I don't I don't design Bible software okay Dr Heiser so you yeah, gonna...
4: Elo- Elohim is Elohim
0: is good Okay
1: Okay so usually we think that that is a synonym for Yahweh so we think distinct characteristics we think we are talking about the Lord God most high mm-hmm. but you point out in the book that there is a distinction made that there are gods that are not Yahweh, um, help us understand yeah. that. Yeah,
4: we have a we have a we have a couple of points of difficulty because on the one hand, you know, Elohim is a very common word for the God of the Bible. Mm-hmm. The God of Israel. And you know your like, village atheists, you know, love to, to point out, you know, the internet, oh, it's plural, you know, it's really talking about God, not God. Well no, it, it we have words like this in English, that they don't really tell you anything by virtue of how they're spelled. For instance, fish, deer, D-E-E-R. Yes. Am I talking about one or more than one? Well, by itself, you don't know. You have to put it in a sentence. And then the grammar tells you, you know, the, the deer is in the field, the deer are in the field. Oh, okay, I have a verb now, and I know what to do with it. I know it's you know, one or more than one. And that's how Elohim works spelled, you know, you can be plural in spelling. I mean, that's the form of it. But what it means can be singular, plural. So, you know, we're so used to sort of thinking about it only in one way, the God of Israel. Then when you start bumping into certain passages, you realize that, wow, the biblical writers actually use Elohim of entities that are not the God of Israel and that are lesser than him. So, like, what do we do with that? Yeah. And, and, And typically people say, well, those are idols. Well, that might work, except for passages where it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Where, where the you know this night I shall have victory over the gods of Egypt. You know, at the Passover and and the plagues. You know, being aimed at specific you know Egyptian deities. You know, if it's just idols, well, I got news for you. I mean, I'm, I'm better than an idol too. It's just a piece of wood. I mean, I could have victory over it too. I mean, it, it really strips you know the glory. Uh, and, and really, the credit of the power uh, you know, from the God of Israel. You know, Yahweh is the God of God. Well, does the text mean what it says or not? Hmm. If he's just the God of idols, well, you know idols aren't even real. So how does that glorify him? I mean, there's all sorts of questions that you you know you get asked in psalm eighty two, God mm-hmm. is presiding over a council of Elohim in verse one. In verse six, those Elohim are called sons of the Most High. The Well, you know who the, the most high is. It's the God of the Bible. So, sons of God, sons of Elion. It's uh, you know, two ways of saying the same thing. You go over to Psalm eighty-nine, and this council of the sons of God is in the heavens mm-hmm. in the sky. You know, last time I checked, there aren't a bunch of idols floating around in the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, this, these are talking about spiritual entities that the biblical writers feared. We thought they were real because they're, they're they're spirit beings who are hostile to Israel, hostile to, to God. It you know that that's difficult for us to wrap our mind around yes. because the other problem we have is we're so used to, to seeing the letters G O and D and thinking immediately that G O and D means a specific set of unique attributes: omniscience, omnipotence, eternality, all these things. Mm-hmm. And so it creeps us out when you put an S on because there can only be one of those. And, and that theology is correct. But the issue is the biblical writers don't think of Elohim as being about a specific set of unique attributes, because if they did, they would never use the word of other entities who are not hmm. the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. But they do. So that tells you right away that the term isn't about a set of unique attributes is about something else. In, in, in the book, I talk about this a lot. It just means, it's kind of like, like a word like like ruach, spirit, or rukot, spirit. It's, Elohim is a word you could use to describe a member of Doc- the spiritual world. Dr.
1: Heiser, let me just jump in. We we got to grab this break. I want to pick up here and then move on. I, what does this mean, this divine counsel to us who are in Christ? We'll take the break and we'll be right back.
3: There were members of the divine council who, like the humans, didn't want to represent God's authority anymore. They wanted to be God and they rebelled. And so these created beings deceived humans into worshiping them instead of the Creator. And so Babylon becomes the biblical image for the combined human and spiritual rebellion. And so God scatters the people from Babylon into different nations. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says this is when God also scattered the rebels of the divine council with them. So the nations are handed over to spiritual rulers. Yes, and this is why when the biblical prophets look out at the violent empires of their day, they see two dimensions to all the chaos and injustice. Human rebels who are being corrupted by the worship of spiritual rebels, the idol gods of money, sex, and military power. Yeah, when humans give their allegiance to these powers, it leads to a world like ours. Right, and the best example of this is the story of the Exodus, where we're told that the Egyptian genocide of the Israelites was inspired by Pharaoh and by the gods of Egypt. That is really intense. But it is not the end of the story. When God rescued the Israelites from Egypt and its gods, he invited them to become his covenant partners and learn a different way of ruling the world. And they agree to it, but in the end, they don't honor the partnership. They give their allegiance to other gods. And so this leads to their exile in Babylon, where they become slaves once again to a foreign nation and their spiritual rulers, awaiting a new exodus into freedom.
1: Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. (laughs) I mean, it's just fascinating. It really is truly fascinating to explore yeah. what we don't explore yeah. on a regular basis. Anyway, welcome back. I'm Miki.
2: And I'm Will. And that was uh, I Stand in Awe, Chris Tomlin. And you know, I was just thinking about that clip. You know, you can kind of see the principalities and the rulers that have authority, you know, over. Yes. we were talking about these different kingdoms, you know, and, and how they were doing evil. But. You have the human element, but then you have the spiritual element that's at work too. Yeah, the unseen realm.
1: And and let's let's go back to our guest, Dr. Michael Heiser, the author of "The Unseen Realm: Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible." Joins us to kind of pick up where we left off with maybe a little more order <laughs> on my part, you know, a little more understanding, and not so fab, uh, flabbergasted. But um, th- this is just fascinating to explore, and I'm wondering at this point, Dr. Heiser how this affects the believer, Um, our knowledge and our understanding of this council, um, even this rebellious sect, if you will, um, how does this affect us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, or does it at all?
4: Yeah, I think it gives us two things. I think it informs our identity, you know, who we really are, and what our mission and our destiny are. I I really like the way Tim and John, you know, that Bible Project clip, you know, put this, you know, the, the way they connected both the human and the supernatural evil, because if, again, the, the, the short version here, if you're thinking about a, a council rebellion, you know, when there's actually more than one rebellion in the Old Testament, but the, the one at Babel, where the nations are disinherited, people are scattered, they're assigned to these lesser gods, and then the corruption ensues, as, as Tim and John described there. You have a, a world where really the rest of the Old Testament is Yahweh, the God of Israel, against the other gods and Yahweh's people. You know, his, his kickstart, you know, of Eden again, you know, dwelling among his people like he wanted to do in Eden. But you have those people against all of the other nations. And their job, the job of Israel, is to be a kingdom of priests, to be a holy nation, to be mediators you know, to the rest of the nations, back to the true God. You know, they are the conduit through which the nations can come, and ultimately it's from the Israel, the Israelite nation, that the Messiah will come, who will be the agent, you know, to accomplish that mission. So you have this whole view, and the neat thing about it, as I said before, the supernatural world is sort of a template for the spiritual world, is you look at the Great Commission. What's the point of the Great Commission? It's to reclaim the nations. Mm -hmm. This is why we have the nations in Acts 2. This is why... You know, we get not only the way they're laid out in Acts two, but if you go through the book of Acts, all the places that are specifically, you know, mentioned, mm-hmm. are the nations that were disinherited at Babel, and you know, sort of extend into Old Testament story wow. uh, of, of territory that that belongs to the Lord but was surrendered to him through rebellion and enslaved by these other populations and these other gods. I mean, this is the story of the reclaiming of the nation.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And you know, when you get you know, all the way to the book of Revelation. And twice, in chapter, once in chapter two, once in chapter three, you know, Jesus is telling, you know, John, you know, to him that overcomes, I will put him over the nations. To him that overcomes, I will share with him the morning star, which is a, a an idiomatic expression for messianic rule. Well, who's over the nations now? It would be the fallen gods. They 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 are defeated in terms of their authority as nullified at the cross and the resurrection, but they are hanging on to their turf.
0: This is where mm. we
4: get spiritual warfare. Well, when they are finally defeated in the end of days, who replaces them? It's the believer. Wow. You know, the believer, the believer sons of God. This is why we get you know, believers in the New Testament referred to as children of God, sons of God. In the Old Testament, that terminology in the plural is reserved for members of the heavenly host. In the New Testament, it's never used to the heavenly host. It's used only of human believers. Hmm. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we will judge or rule over angels. Hey, this, is, this is why these things are said, because we as believers will take our rightful place, you know, over a global Eden where the nations are brought back and restored, and we share the rule of those nations Wow, with the Lord, with the Messiah, who is our brother, Hebrews 2, who introduces us Hebrews to, to the congregation, <laughs> oh to the council. Yes. Okay, all of these things are not just accidental throwaway language. Right. They feed into other things and they derive from other things. It's a it's a web, it's a mosaic, it's a matrix. If you want to use that you know, metaphor. It's amazing. And this is what it is.
1: No, it's 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 amazing, Dr. Heiser. It is fascinating to me, and and I want to say this because I, I You know, what I what I long for is to see um, the authenticity of our faith restored, where when we read the scriptures, we understand the scriptures and we take the scriptures for what the scriptures are saying so that when we are taught that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, that we understand that. I think that and I want to get your take on this, Dr. Heiser. I think that there are people who are still operating in this domain of darkness who have a better understanding than some Christians who should understand this. What do you think about that?
4: No, I, 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 you know, I would have to agree. I, I think you're onto something. There, you know, I, I'm, I'm into pop culture too. I, I, I did a book recently on you know, the world turns up upside down, finding the gospel, a stranger thing. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that, that's one sort of not nasty example uh, of of how a pop culture phenomenon overlaps into what, you know, what Tim and John would call the, the supernatural meta narrative, mm-hmm. you know, of the Bible. But um, there are dark, you know, thinking people who do this and are very aware of, you know, again, the supernatural story, the meta narrative, what's really sort of going on behind the scenes. And they will create things that capture the interest of the imagination
0: mm-hmm.
4: of people that will lead their thinking down certain paths. They do it knowingly, whereas the, the consumer is, is typically, you know, not you know knowledgeable of, of what they're being taught either consciously or subconsciously. And and Christians again either seem totally divorced from this because they're not getting biblical theology Come in on. depth in church or right. they've divorced themselves from pop culture. Mm. They're they're sort of incidental to the whole picture. And so they can't have you know, meaningful conversations. They're using uh, these these pop culture elements to actually teach corrective theology. <laughs> you know, and and use those things to, to have conversations and build bridges to people who will never go to church, will never read the Bible. But the meta narrative is there. You know, if you know what you're looking at, it's there, and you can have those conversations and and really provoke people by saying, "Look, you're really into this show, or into this song, or into this whatever it is." Do you realize the thing that, that you appreciate about this is just a a dim reflection, a mimicking of a greater story that follows the same lines, but ends in a different way? Mm. And, you know, it, it, it they're, they're just things like that. So I think what you just said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I think that there's a lot of people uh, out there who, you know, are looking for something transcendent and looking for mystery, and they wind up again, in the pop culture world where, you know, a lot of this, you know, occult sort of knowledge is yes. transmitted, and it, it, it's nothing more than a, than a mimicking of, of the supernatural rebellion narrative that's told in Scripture, but it's twisted. It's made attractive and desirable.
1: You know, as you're talking about um, us being able to see and observe what's happening in pop culture and make these spiritual connections for us to be aware and on guard as Christians, but to also use this as a starting point for communicating the gospel, one, that's what we try to do on this program Two, I feel like this is almost like sort of a, a direct um, reference to act 17, where you have the mm-hmm. apostle Paul at Areopagus and he's, first of all, he's so grieved by is, all of these. What I, does
4: he allude to? He alludes to Deuteronomy 32. <laughs> Come on, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> you know, he, you know, he talks about fixing the borders of the, of the nations, the boundaries. I mean, he, you know, he's he's, Traversing right up to the line there, with what what I would call the Deuteronomy thirty two worldview. You know, he's saying, you know, I noticed you got one to the unknown God. Well, let's start there.
1: Yeah, and and so he's starting right where they are. He's starting right where they are, and and giving them the gospel and telling them that they don't have to live as as I guess victims. To, to this, to this. Yeah, no, they, they they
4: don't because the, the nation is the Psalm eighty two enslaved their population. So you know the the, the gods of the nations. I'll give you an example. You know I I did it was probably three years ago now three four years ago. I got an email from a guy who signed his email Hercules. Hercules. <laughs> Hercules. So i like, oh well, that's interesting. You know, I wonder who this is. And the short story is, this guy is a pagan. He worships the gods of Greece and Rome. He emails me and says, will you please come on my podcast? Because I just read your little book, Supernatural. And he goes, you're the only person I've, that I've run into that I can have a conversation with about this worldview. So I went on this show,
0: hmm.
4: and for the first five, I don't know, eight minutes, he's going through classical texts describing the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, how ah, the nations were assigned to specific gods by the higher-up gods in classical sources. It had nothing to do with the Bible. He goes through all this stuff, and he goes, this isn't crazy. You know, the Bible has the same world the same story. And he says, I have one question. If if the God of the Bible set this whole thing up, what does he want?
0: Oh, wow. Mm. Oh, wow. It's
4: like, oh, I'm I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there was like two hours of just, you know, doing biblical theology on a pagan podcast. Wow. But it, it was like, he was just, there, because he he was just immersed in it, but he says, "I can't find anybody to have a conversation with. Nobody understands." And it's like, "Oh, I understand you." This is like I get to be Paul for for two hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paul had this conversation every day. Yeah, you know, yeah. you go into a pagan city and go, oh, okay, I know you guys think that you can't turn from your gods because the bigger gods set this up and you're going to be in trouble. You know, they're gonna, they're going to get you. I'm here to tell you that the Most High. Okay, who set this whole thing up became a man, Jesus of Nazareth, and died and rose again for you, and you have every right, wow, to turn from those gods to the Most High. And not only do you have the right, but he has the it. Wow. I mean, it, you know, for for someone who's immersed in the world, you know, he was like the perfect guy.
0: <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. You know, even even though it was like a totally foreign context you know, to to your typical Bible interview. There I am on the pagan (laughs) podcast.
1: That's amazing. It's, It's fascinating, but it just reminds us that this gospel that we proclaim and what we read in the scriptures, that the scriptures are alive, and that if we apply this to our lives today, that we should still see the same type of expansion of the church that they saw in the first century. We should continue to see the type of growth whereby people come from the domain of darkness into this glorious, this marvelous light that we are now all in. We're just about out of time. we got about a minute, but my final question is this. Do Christians need to fear this unseen realm, Dr. Heiser?
4: No, I, I, I'll go back to, the, you know, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. And we have, we have every right to speak truth to lies, whether it's something, you know, deeply sinister and satanic and self-destructive or whether it's just a claim on somebody's life that they think, you know, they have to, to worship another god or, or they have to, you know, merit salvation in some way. All, all the lies that we're told that extend from false religion. But we have every right to say, no, this isn't the way it is. And that's good news. It's not a judgment. It's actually good news. Amen. Amen. You know, for all these different reasons. So, you know, spiritual warfare is the Great Commission. This is the thing that the powers fear. Mm. Losing the people under their control.
1: Spiritual warfare is the great commission. This is what these spiritual powers fear mm. losing the people that are under their control. I just I just wanted to highlight that and I probably didn't quote it perfectly, I think but did. I I think I think our people <laughs> will understand it. We have got the good news. Amen. This is the best news ever, that people no longer have to be held hostage in this domain of darkness, that they can come into this marvelous light. We don't need to be afraid of this realm. We need to know that it exists. The Bible teaches us this. Mm-hmm. We can grasp the scriptures. We can live this out. All right, our guest today, Dr. Michael Heiser, the book, The Unseen Realm. If you listen tomorrow, we're going to give away a free copy. We've run out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God
2: bless. God bless.